Good morning. <laughs> okay. So our reading this morning is from Psalm 89. Um, we are told of God's divine love for us through the scriptures, and he reveals his character to us. Um, there normally is Bibles on the windowsills. I'm assuming they're still just at the very back of the church. Um, so if you don't have one, um, feel free to take one and take it home with you if you don't have one at home as well. So after the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord and we'll all respond together. Thanks be to God. This is a bit of a long passage, so bear with me this morning. Um, let us hear from the Lord um, speaking to us from Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord our King to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to the go your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. 
If his children forsake my laws and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies, Selah. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his stronghold in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes and have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame, Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, Selah? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Sorry, (laughs) Helen. Uh, Father, thank you that you have authority over everything. Um, Even the wind and the waves obey you. But help us to remember that regardless of what's going on in the world at the minute, you have control over everything. I pray that this Advent season that we'll remember your steadfast love and your faithfulness, even though it may be hard to see in the midst of maybe our pain or suffering as we wait for your return. Bless Alan as he comes to speak on this passage. Um, Speak through him. Amen. what you did very well. Um, It's good to be here. Thanks for having me this morning. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, It's really good to come back over. Um, We've got a lot to go through this morning, so um, I'm going to get going. Um, But if you're you're new, if you're visiting, um, it's really good to have you with us. You're joining us in our Advent season um, as we're working through some of the Messianic Psalms in the Bible, songs which ultimately find their fulfillment in the coming of God's King, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the reason why I think we need Advent season and Psalms like this even is because of the tension that we live in as Christians 
in this world, on one hand, we've got the reality of life. And it's full of good things, life. We all know this. We all experience this. There's so much that we get to enjoy, especially at Christmas time. You might call them the Fs. Family, friendship, food, festivities, to name just a few. But even if you've lived the most sheltered of lives, you'll no doubt have encountered some of the days in life as well. Disappointment, depression, death, divorce, disease, disorder in the world. In a word, darkness. And the darkness we live in can feel very heavy, very overwhelming. It can leave us feeling very confused even, especially as Christians. Because while we hold this in one hand, the reality of life, in the other hand, we hold God's promises. We remember what God has promised in his word, the glorious promises he has made to his people, the promises he has made about this world, promises of peace of restoration, of a new creation, of glorious salvation for all those who trust in him. And what can be really hard at times is living in this tension, waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled as we live in the presence of darkness in this world. And this psalm presents the experience of living in that tension. And it gives us as Christians this morning help in knowing what to do as we wait, as we live longing for God's promises to be fulfilled. The writer of this psalm is a guy called Ethan Ezraite. I'm going to be talking about Ethan. It sounds like maybe I'm talking about Ethan who comes to sight here as I read, but um, it's Ethan the Ezraite. It's a, a psalm that's most likely written with the exile of God's people to Babylon in mind in 586 uh, BC. That was a time when God's judgment came against his people after years of them being unfaithful to him. They turned their backs on him. They'd worshipped other gods instead of him. And despite God graciously warning them time and time again through the prophets, they still refused to listen and come back to him. And so God, God's judgment, it came against his people in the form of the Babylonians. They came, they sacked the city of Jerusalem, they loaded people up on carts and they carried them away from their homeland to Babylon. And it was probably one of the darkest days in centuries in Old Testament history. And there are many clues within the psalm that point us to, to this being what's behind the psalm. Biggest clues come in, in verse 40. It talks about how the strongholds of the city are in ruins. And then in verse 44, the throne of David has been overturned. And so it seems like this is the backdrop to this psalm. This dark day when Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem. And so you can imagine Ethan the Ezraite holding the darkness of this world in this hand, his present circumstances feeling so heavy, so overwhelming. But in the other hand, he's got the promises of God. He's got his Bible open and he's remembering specifically the incredible promises God made to King David back in 2 Samuel 7. This Davidic covenant where God promised to raise up one of David's descendants to be a king forever. A king whose house and kingdom would endure forever. A king whose throne would be established forever. Ethan is remembering these promises in this psalm. He spends most of the psalm, 37 verses, remembering God's promises. But then 
he turns back to life in this world. The darkness in exile. And in verse 38, he says, How? How, Lord, do these things match up? Because from where I'm sitting right now, God, if I'm going to be honest with you, it looks like your promises have failed. It looks, verse 39, like you've renounced the covenant you made with your servant David and you've defiled his crown to the dust. And so he cries out to God in verse 40, How long, O Lord? How long must we wait for your promises to be fulfilled? Will you hide yourself forever? What we have from Ethan here in this psalm is an example of how to live in that tension between present darkness and God's promises. Because while the time and the context is different, like him, we too are a people who wait for God's promises to be fulfilled and for his promised king to come. While Ethan waited in exile for his first coming, his first advent, we wait in exile in this world for his second coming. And what helps us to live by faith is the knowledge of God's faithfulness to his people. What helps to bring these two things to, together, really, is remembering the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. That every promise he has ever made has been and will be fulfilled in him. That's what Ethan is doing. He's remembering God's faithfulness. And to help him remember, look what he chooses to do, verse 1. I will sing. That's a statement of intent, isn't it? I will sing even from here, even from exile, even in my doubts, even in the darkness. I'm going to sing. I'm going to praise God because in doing that, something incredible happens in my heart where these two things, they, they begin to kind of come together and my faith in God is strengthened to trust him even in the presence of darkness, to find peace in his promises even as I wait for them to be fulfilled. And we see Ethan singing about four things, four things that we're going to go through this morning that help us as we wait as God's people today in 2023. Firstly, he sings about the God who is faithful in love. Faithful in love. And I'm, not going to keep, I'm not going to spend too much time on this point this morning because we're going to explore the, the theme of God's faithful love more fully in week four of Advent. But the faithful love of God is the first thing Ethan sings about in verse one. Look what he says. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You see how steadfast love and faithfulness kind of complement each other here? They almost parallel each other in these first two verses. And that's because steadfast love is one of the pillars of God's promise keeping. Think about it. If I make a promise to one of my daughters who I really love, I commit to be faithful to keeping that promise to them because I really do care about them. I really love them and I want to be faithful to them. And if that's the truth of me as an imperfect father, how much truer is that of God as our perfect father? Because think about the love that God has for his children. It's a steadfast love. It's a covenant-keeping love. 
It's not the kind of love that blows hot and cold. It's not the kind of fickle, fleeting love that we so often experience in this world. A love that, that's dependent on us keeping our end of the bargain. A love that's dependent on how he's feeling about his, keeping his end of the bargain. His love for his children is not like that. It's consistent. It's unwavering. It's enduring. And that's why Ethan will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Because he knows that God's faithful love for his people doesn't have an expiration date. Singing of his love doesn't need to end because his faithful love will never end. And so he can trust that because of his love, God will faithfully keep his promises. My guess is that Ethan's looking back over years of that being true. He's recounting the mercies of God in his own life. He's recounting the mercies of God in the life of his people, even in the darkest days of their past. And the knowledge of God's faithful love helps strengthen his faith in the present. And what Ethan does here is something that we all can do as well. As we journey through Advent season towards Christmas Day, we can take time each day to remember the mercies of God, to remember his gifts and his, his love towards his people. You know something else that's really important for us to know? In the darkness, believer, the darkness is not a sign that God has stopped loving you. It's not a sign that God has given up on you. His steadfast love it is consistent and unwavering towards you. There is never a day that he has not loved you and there never will be a day that he won't love you. Knowing God's faithful love is what helps us to trust his promises even as we live in the presence of darkness in this world. Ethan sings about the God who is faithful in love. And secondly, he sings about the God who is faithful in power. Faithful in power. What we get here, particularly in verses 5 to 18, are several pictures of God's sovereign power and authority. These windows through which we can look and see the greatness of God. And we need this reminder because it's important to know that God isn't just willing to keep his promises to us but that he's able to keep his promises to us. He's got the power, the capabilities to do it. And to show God's incomparable power and greatness, the psalmist firstly describes how the heavenly hosts revere him. Heavenly hosts revere him. So he sort of opens up this picture of the angels in heaven worshiping God. He calls them in verse five, the assembly of the holy ones. So God isn't just being worshiped here today by us in this room. He isn't just being worshipped by other believers across this city in Belfast as they gather. He won't just be worshipped across the world by millions of people as they gather to worship him today. No, God is being worshipped and revered by the innumerable angels in heaven right now. And think about these angels. They show up quite often in the Christmas story. Actually, they're God's messengers to Mary, Joseph, to the shepherds on the hillside outside Bethlehem. And how do people generally react whenever angels appear in the room or when they appear in the sky? They're terrified. They fall to their face on the ground. They're, they're having to be told not to be afraid. Humans in the Bible tremble before the holy angels. But here in verse 7, holy angels tremble in the presence of the holiness of God. He is awesome in holiness. 
mighty in power. Heavenly hosts revere him. And secondly, the raging sea obeys him. What is more untamable in nature than the raging sea? Think of what tsunamis do. I, I recently watched the film The Impossible, um, and it's based on the, the true story of a family fighting to survive after the Indian Ocean tsunami back in, on Boxing Day in uh, 2004. And the moment the tsunami hits is terrifying, even to watch on TV. The incredible power that this wave has just to destroy all on its path, tearing down trees, flipping cars, upending boats. The sea is an untamable force of nature. But look at verse 9. The psalmist declares that God rules the raging sea. When its waves rise, he is the one who stills them. Such is his absolute power. Psalm 29 says this, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And in one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 93, it talks about the floods as metaphors for pain, for trials, for turmoil in the life of the believer. It's the darkness that we experience in this world. And it says this, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. It's overwhelming almost. But, verse 4, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The psalmist brings the truth of God to bear on his present situation. And he's reminded that there is peace. There is refuge. There is solace in the hands of a mighty and powerful God. Charles Spurgeon great preacher, he, he preached on Psalm 89 and he said this about verse 9, and I absolutely loved this this week as I read it. As a mother stills her babe to sleep, so the Lord calms the fury of the sea, the anger of men, the tempest of adversity, the despair of the soul, and the rage of hell. The raging sea obeys him, and thirdly, earthly powers tremble before him. So this is something we touched on a bit last week um, as Andrew preached Psalm 2, that there is no power in all of the world that is able to stand against this powerful God. And to make that point, the psalmist, he talks in verse 10 about Rahab. So Rahab was a placeholder name for Egypt in the Old Testament. So it's kind of like a hyperlink here in the passage. You click on the name Rahab and it takes you to the story of Egypt. And at an earlier point in Israel's history, Egypt was the dominant superpower. She could do whatever she wanted in the world. But look what God has the power to do when no one else could. Verse 10, you crushed Rahab like a carcass. It wasn't even a fight. No one can stand against a sovereign almighty God like this. He scatters his enemies with his mighty arm. Listen, God has never wrung his hands in frustration and said, there is nothing I can't do here. He's never been rendered powerless in accomplishing the things that he set out to do. God is always able. He is always stronger, which means that every promise he has made, he has the power to keep. And lastly, the whole of creation belongs to him. Who could say about anyone else the things that the psalmist says about God in verse 11 and 12? Heavens are yours. The earth also is yours, the world and all that's in it, you've founded them. The north and the south, you've created them, Tabor and Hermon, those are mighty mountains that dominated the skyline. 
They joyously praise your name like they sing over the land. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. You get the picture, don't you? Here is a God who has incomparable power and glory. And we need this picture of God. We need to be reminded of what what the psalmist says in verse 6, that there is no one like our God. No one in heaven and on earth compares to him. Because at times, you know, this stuff, this darkness, it feels so big. It feels so heavy, so definitive almost. You look at the things going on in our world and you despair. You wonder how things could ever change. You maybe feel the things in your life and you wonder if it's going to be like this forever. But listen, we have a God who has made massive promises to his people and he is a God who is big enough to keep them. He will keep every single one of them. God is faithful in love and he is faithful in power. And thirdly, he is faithful to save. He's faithful to save. See, when Ethan thinks of the promises God has made to King David that he talks so much about here, God's chosen one, the promises he made in 2 Samuel 7, those promises that he is remembering, they were not just seen by Ethan and by God's people as David's promises, just for David. No, those promises that were made to King David were promises made to all of David's people. The promises that God made to the king, the blessings for the king were the blessings for his kingdom. And did you hear some of the promises that God made in verse 19 to 37? Massive things. Let's look at them quickly together for a moment. Follow along in your Bible if you have it open. Verse 21, there's the promise of strength. Verse 22, the promise of protection. Verse 23, the promise of deliverance from enemies. Verse 24, the promise of exaltation and victory. There's the promise of permanence. Because look what God says in verse 33 and 34. I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Israel didn't hear these promises and think, wouldn't it be amazing to be in David's shoes? To be in David's family? Look how many blessings are coming his way. David, oh, so good to be you. No, no. They heard those promises and they said, he is our king. David is our king. And so those blessings will be our blessings too. God's favor in his king is his favor in his kingdom. And what God promises to his king and to his people is total salvation. Absolute deliverance. You take all the promises here of God's salvation in Psalm 89 and you pile them up on top of all the other promises in the Bible of God's rescue and salvation And what you get is just absolute, all-encompassing salvation being promised by our God. Because a life of faith, of trusting in God's promises, is a life full of the grace of God. Grace, the hour you first believe in him, and grace that leads you all the way home. It's a life and life in all its fullness promise. It's a sin will not have dominion over you promise. It's a I will give you a new heart promise. It said, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ promise. It's a pleasures forevermore promise. It's a rest for the weary and heavy laden promise. 
It's a peace in every circumstance, a peace that surpasses understanding promise. All of that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a promise of total salvation for God's people because ultimately it's a promise that points to the Messiah, to Jesus. God's forever king. Because look at verse 25. You maybe sense this as you read it. This is about David, yes, but it points forward to someone greater than David. Look at what it says. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn. That's not meaning the, the first to be born. That's the heir of all things. He's the one that will inherit all things. And here's what he will inherit. The highest of the kings of the earth. He will have the name above every name on earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. Here again, we have to remember the psalmist, Ethan, is reading this from exile. In the darkness of exile, and he's looking out at all that's going on around him and he's saying, how is this real for us right now, God? How does any of this make sense? How do your promises relate to us today? It's 585 BC. Last year, Babylon came in and they just wrecked our world. And it's still the same. Nothing's changed. Do you know, I'm so grateful for Psalms like this. I don't know if you are. Being able to read them now, a Psalm that's so real, so raw, so honest. Because like so many other Psalmists and figures throughout biblical history, Ethan, in his present circumstances, is struggling to have faith in God's promises. He's struggling to to see how it all makes sense. We get that in verse 38 to the end. This is a man who is struggling to see how God's promises will be fulfilled. A man who's racked with doubts and confusion about where God's salvation will come from. But what does he do with that? What can we learn from him in that? Does he run from God? Does he turn his face away from him? No. He cries out to him. Lord, come. Come here now. How long, O Lord, must we wait for you? Verse 40. Will you hide yourself from us forever? Come, Lord. Do what you've done before. Come and do the things that you've promised that you will do. That, that is faith. Biblical faith. Believing the promises of God. Believing that he can do it even when we can't see how he will. And what we get in verses 38 to 52 is the God who is faithful to us even when we're struggling to have faith in him. This is who Ethan praises and sings about in the last section, the God who's faithful to us even when we're struggling to have faith in him. I read Psalms like this and the doubt that's all over it and I really wish I could travel back in time. I don't know if you do. Because we see things the psalmist here couldn't see. This is obvious. Ethan the Ezraite, he'd never read the New Testament. He's not sitting in a time in history like us now with regard to the coming of Jesus Christ. And given where we live in history, after that first Christmas morning when Jesus Christ was born into this world, you can hear Ethan asking these questions. He's got all these doubts about whether God is quitting his promises whether God has just abandoned the whole plan and we want to go back to him and we want to say, hold on, 
Ethan, hold on. There is more. Something is going to happen about 500 years from now. The sky is going to light up over Bethlehem. Angels are going to appear and they're going to declare God's message that the day of waiting is over. The king has been born. He's come. And then this baby Jesus, who will be the son of David. He's the one you've been waiting for, the rightful heir to the throne. He will grow up and he'll live the perfect sinless life that none of the rest of us could. And then he'll go to the cross and he'll die bearing our sins on himself. But he will rise to life again. God will put that Jesus, the son of David, on the throne forever. To rule and reign as as king forever. And he will be given the name that is above every name. Made the highest of the kings on earth by God. And we could tell Ethan, look. If I could just take you forward to the year 2023, in a room like this, you'd see what God is doing right now. That the king is still seated on his throne. That his kingdom and and his rule is expanding throughout this world. Just like Jesus said it would. His kingdom is breaking through with righteousness and peace and joy now through the church, through us. Jesus has drawn people to himself from every corner of this world. It's happening, Ethan. I wish you could see it. And we could say that to him because we've seen things that he, the psalmist, hasn't seen. But yet, we wait with him for what we have yet to see. There's something in this psalm that we could say we can add to Ethan's understanding, that we can bring about clarity to what he's thinking and feeling. But at the same time, there are things that we would have to sit with him and say, do you know, Ethan, I get it. I'm in the same boat as you in lowly exile here on earth until the Son of God appears. Just like we could go back to Ethan and say, listen, there's more. In the Bible later in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses in heaven who've gone before us as believers this morning. And if we could hear them now, they'd be saying to us, there's more. Don't give up. Persevere in your faith. Keep going. We know what's coming. Even if you don't yet. Jesus' kingdom is breaking through with righteousness, peace, and joy now through the church, yes. But there is coming a day when his kingdom will come in all of its fullness. When he comes again, the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and we will reign with him forever. That's the blessed hope of the church. That, friends, is what we wait for, we long for, like Ethan in this psalm. In the the GP surgery that I am part of, um, you go into the waiting room and when you do, um, you're, you're given a ticket with a number on it. It's pretty old school, actually. I quite like it, though. and gives you something in your hand where you you're sitting waiting and you've got a number on that ticket and you take a seat in the waiting room and you wait for your number to be called up on the screen. Um, and there's nothing worse when you go into the GP surgery and you're given a ticket with number 22 on it and then on the screen it flashes up number 15 because you know you're going to be here for a while. You're waiting. You know there's seven people who are going to have to see the GP before you get to see them. What happens though whenever number 21 comes up? you're holding number 22. Start getting excited. (laughs) Seeing seeing the GP next. Not going to be here forever. The anticipation starts to rise. You think, 
I'm going to be in front of them. I'm going to be able to see the doctor and then I'm going to be able to go, get to go home. Look, with that strange analogy, that picture in mind, I want you to think of the Bible as having just four tickets, four big turning points in history. Ticket number one was handed out at Genesis, number one, at Genesis 1. It's called creation. When this powerful God that we've heard about this morning, he brought all things into being. Ticket number two was handed out in Genesis 3. It's called the fall. When we, as created beings, we turned our back on that creator God because we thought life without him would be better than life with him. Ticket number three was handed out in Matthew chapter 1 at the incarnation when Jesus Christ was born into the world to be our redeemer, to be our savior, to rescue us from sin and death, from the darkness that we are in. So creation, fall, incarnation, and believer in Christ, if you're here this morning, you are sitting in this room waiting with ticket number four in your hand. Which means we're up next. The next event on the calendar of redemptive history is glorification. Home forever. No more exile joy and peace and pleasures forevermore. That's what we wait for. That's what we long for. And we know that it's true. We know that it's coming because we look back on all of God's faithfulness in the past. We look back on his faithfulness to his promises back then. We know that what he has done is something that he will do again. And if we live as if this is true, if we live with eternity in view like this, knowing what's coming, knowing that Jesus Christ, the King, is coming back for us, then it won't give us heaven on earth right now. We're still going to go through the darkness. But what it will give us as we sit in the darkness is something that we desperately need. Hope. Sure and certain knowledge that Jesus, the King, is ruling. He's reigning. Let's do what Ethan does. Sing God's praise, even from exile, even in the darkness. Let's tell of God's faithfulness to the coming generation because we know how the story ends. We know because we, we celebrate it every Christmas. The son of David came. He was born into our world. He lived a life, the perfect life that none of us could. He died the death we all deserve, but he rose to life again. He conquered sin and death. And he came in order to redeem all his people. And so we wait for the final fulfillment of all of God's promises to arrive when Jesus Christ returns. And until that day, we sing God's praise. As I finish, um, you maybe get, uh, like I did, the Spotify wrapped. You know, in Spotify, if you listen to music, you get the Spotify wrapped, the end of the year, kind of sum up of what your year of music has been like. Uh, and there's one artist that, that appears on, on that, which is really random, and you've, on mine anyway, but you've maybe never heard of them. It's called Audrey Assad. Anybody heard of them? Um, she's a Christian singer. She's kind of got like Celtic vibes. It's quite nice. And she's got this hymn, one of her songs, uh, that's, I think, written in the 1800s, but she's kind of done a bit of a remake on it. And it's called, How Can I Keep From Singing? 
And see, as I prepared for this sermon this week, I just couldn't stop listening to it because these words, it just felt like these were like almost a, a hymn that summed up the words of Psalm 89, 89 and all that Ethan the Ezraite saying here. It's got so many similar threads. It talks about God's sovereignty, his faithfulness through all trials and darkness that we face as believers in this world. And I want to end by reading it before Andrew comes up and, and leads us to communion. Just listen to these words. My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet though far off hymn that heals a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear that music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though my joys and comforts die, I know my Savior liveth. But though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that refuge clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Will you stand with me now as I pray for us before Andrew comes and leads us to communion? Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are. You're a great God, an awesome God, who sits enthroned in the heavens. Lord, I pray that, that today, this week, you would just expand our vision of you. Give us such a big picture of your glory. Something that we can behold, Lord, which just makes everything else in life pale to insignificance, really, Lord, in comparison to you and your glory and splendor. Lord, I pray that, that we would know that you're a God who, who is for us. You're a God who loves us. And that means, God, that, that all that you've promised, all that you've said that you will do for your people, we can trust that it will come to pass. We look back on Jesus Christ, on his first coming, on all that he did during his life on earth, his death and resurrection. We know that you are capable of doing all that you've done before, Lord. You will do it again. Jesus Christ will come back and he will take us home to be with him forever in glory. We long for that day because the darkness of this world is heavy. It is overwhelming. Lord, we praise you that the light has come and the darkness will not overcome it. Lord, until the day when Jesus comes, I pray that we would live by faith in you, trust in you, that you would deepen our faith, Lord, that if any of us today are struggling, Lord, maybe we are racked with doubts, we're, we're full of confusion in our mind, we're we struggling to see, Lord, what you're doing in our lives, Lord, I pray that today, as we hear these words from Ethan, Lord, that we would be able to relate to them, but we'd also be able to, to see Jesus Christ and look to him and our faith in you would just be strengthened, Lord. That our, our peace in, uh, that, that you've given to us, that our peace, Lord, would just be uh, anew, afresh in us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have your word to cling to. That our hope is in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that through this season, um, that we won't let other things kind of crowd out our, our vision of you and of all that you've promised us, Lord, but we will cling to those things. We will do that for the rest of our lives here on earth.